Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their insights. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'd also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review, as it'll help others to learn about Autism Stories. So with this coming week, uh, just so happens to be the 10th anniversary of Autism Personal Coach, being an entrepreneur and the journey, the self-growth that one takes, or at least I have taken in that process, has been on my mind quite a bit lately. So I'm particularly excited to talk with a fellow autistic entrepreneur on today's episode, Margot Wask. We talk about Margot's journey as an entrepreneur, executive functioning while running a business, and providing opportunities for disabled creators. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Margo, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I'd like to start off our conversation by learning where does your story in the autistic community begin? Sure. So my road to my formal diagnosis was very interesting because as a child, I was diagnosed with ADD, which is now ADHD different learning disabilities, anxiety, depression, basically a lot of things that would be under the autistic criteria or diagnosis. And I'm 34 now, and when I was 28, I was able to get a formal diagnosis. Prior to that, I actually had an online bully. She was just relentless with me for a very long time, who said, I think you have Asperger, I think, you know, Margo has Asperger's, which we know is autism now. And I was a little bit offended and taken aback. But then when I actually like did some online quizzes and looked into it more, I was like, okay, you know, maybe they were trying to insult me, but if anything, you know, it helped me figure out who I am, gave me a sense of identity and it helped me connect with a community that actually, it led me on a road to find people that were very similar to me. And I had never felt like there was anybody like me in the world before that. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because kind of the things that cause us problems can sometimes lead us down a a more positive path. Exactly. It's kind of interesting. I was saying to somebody last night, you know, it's kind of my turning lemons into lemonade story, if you will, because I was able to take something that somebody thought they were being negative towards me and I've been able to really make the most of it. Now, I love talking to uh, other entrepreneurs, so I'm excited to talk with you today. Um, You started your business, uh, Retrophiliac, in 2011, I believe, with the mission to reduce the negative stigma that autistic people that we face through your uh, vibrant merchandise. What's interesting to me is you've combined this with your love of the 1960s and 70s uh, arts and culture. So... You're uh, younger than me, so I know you weren't necessarily alive during that time period. 
So why was that period in uh, history of arts and culture so important to you? Yeah, so my mom always had like Beach Boys and Beatles CDs near like the CD player growing up. And it was just something that I always found comfort in was that kind of music and how warm it was in contrast to kind of, I guess, the colder feel of 90s music if that makes sense like it was just warm and vibrant and uplifting and in some of my darkest times it was just something that was always there for me and always made me feel just always made me feel good and I've never kind of done what everybody else is doing so I guess it was just kind of my I don't know my love for something that felt different in terms of everything else that was so popular and my business actually started from visual art that I have been doing a lot longer. So the, my paintings, I have hundreds of paintings that I've done. My retrophiliac pseudonym kind of started there prior to my merchandise being available, which I think has only been available for maybe three or four years, starting with the Neurodiversity Pride pin. But prior to that, it was really all visual art. So retrophiliac has really... I guess expanded. I don't know if I'm going to rebrand at some point because it doesn't really fit what I'm doing anymore. But it's just something that's always been part of who I am. I mean, I was buying and reselling vintage clothing, probably at the age of 13 or 14 on eBay, before I was really supposed to have an account. So I've just always loved business and always loved mixing that with the other things that I guess I'm into at the time. Talking about online accounts, from what I understand, you started your business a little bit on Etsy. And I, I know there are lots of people, including some of our listeners, that try to sell things on Etsy. What have you learned over the last decade or so that made Etsy, Etsy work for Retrophiliac? So it's kind of like having multiple streams to advertise. So not only do I take out $10 worth of ads a day, but I built my Made by Autistics Marketplace community and gallery group on Facebook. And so I was able to build up a community of folks who also were making art. And because it's a very mutually beneficial thing, not only could I advertise my store, but everybody else has been able to advertise their stores and their work. So I feel like being very loud about it is really important, you know, posting on every single social media platform that you can possibly think of. So I'm very active on TikTok. I just reached over 15,000 followers on there. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You just kind of have to like be loud. And on Twitter, a lot of the time I'll look for search queries that have to do with what I'm doing and I'll just respond. I'll be like, hey, I do this or I'll reach out to various websites. You just kind of really have to be the squeaky wheel and find every single venue you could possibly have to tell people. Now, when I think about entrepreneurs, many times I think about executive functioning. Have there been challenges with that, especially, I'm wondering, to meet the supply and demand of your customers since you sell products? It's very stressful. I won't lie. I think anybody who runs a business is not going to say that it's, you know, super <laughs> brief and easygoing. Right. Inventory tracking has been very, very hard for me. And also balancing my business and my own personal health has been really challenging. I can't seem to juggle that very well. 
so right now what I've done is I've ordered some boxes to get my stock sorted better. I'm getting some more shelves for my bookshelves so I can like sort it out. My sister helps me out. My mom helps me out. It's just, it's not a one person operation anymore. And I saw record sales last year and I'm hoping to beat those record sales this year. But I'm also in around 42 or 43 stores, give or take, between the United States and Canada. So it's not only online between my Shopify and my Etsy, but it's wholesale. And I also go to markets locally here in Vancouver, BC. So a lot of the time, you know, it's getting tables and my chairs and my display pieces. I got some custom built and making sure I take enough stock with me and making sure I have my square charged. So it's a lot of things I have to juggle. This past week, I think I did between 66 and 75 orders. And that has been very challenging to keep up with. My mom had to come over one day during the week. So it's just, for me, it's not being afraid to ask for help when I needed it. That really helps my executive functioning because if I can split what I'm doing between me and one other person or me and two other people, then I can have some more time to focus on myself. Absolutely. I can relate so much to that. You mentioned being in about 42 stores in Canada and the U.S., which I think is super impressive, and I am sure that was not easy to do. So what's been your message to stores that you've contacted in this process? That's something also my sisters helped me with, and I'm on a website called Fair, which is a wholesale like marketplace. We just go in really letting everybody know that, like, you know, I'm autistic. This is part of what I do. I think we let them know that I do activism and advocacy work as well, because as much as people want to tell me that myself and my business are separate or what I do is separate, I don't feel that way. It is one entity. If somebody's going to insult a piece of merchandise I have, I take it personally. I think to get stuff into wholesale though, you just, again, you have to be fearless. Like I was thinking last night, I'm going to send some snail mail to some people that aren't responding to me at some point. I'm going to write some letters. You just have to be fearless because at the end of the day, the only thing you're going to get, the worst thing you can get is a rejection and then you you move on. So for every like rejection I get, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go email like 10 more stores for every rejection I get. You just kind of have to take it as, okay, this, it might not be a fit for them, but there are thousands, if not millions of retail stores in the world. Somebody is going to connect with what I'm doing. Absolutely. And how can people learn more about your business? So they can find me at facebook.com slash retrophiliac, R-E-T-R-O-P-H-I-L-I-A-C. They can find me at shopretrophiliac.com, retrophiliac.etsy.com. They can follow me on TikTok, retrophiliac with the r-e-t-r-0 filiac they can add me on linkedin and reach out to me you look up retrophiliac you will find me you're not hard to find yes so that that's great so beyond your business you're the co-founder of something that i really would love to learn more about and it's the uh we belong market which is uh, an accessible inclusive market what would you say are kind of the features of this market that make it more inclusive and accessible so we had our inaugural market 
in 2022, so last year, very recently in August. We're hoping to get funding to do it again because we don't charge our vendors anything. And we also provided volunteers to help everybody get set up. We provided the tables, the canopies, the chairs, and we had it in an outdoor setting with lots of seating, uh, washrooms that were nearby in malls, food if people needed to get it, they could literally cross the street. There was a mall right there. We just really wanted to make it like very low to no barriers for our artists and for anybody that wanted to come. There were certain things we couldn't provide like interpreters just because our budget was so minute. It was way too late for us to get any private sponsors. We did have our local art supply store called Opus. They provided gift bags for everybody, which was amazing. Notepads, pencils, sharpeners, I think erasers, a tote bag. It was fantastic. And I think what separated us was that most markets for disabled people are never run by us. They're run by organizations or they're run by people that like to make money off of us. Whereas there was, I had my own booth but I wasn't making money off of any of our vendors because that's not what was important to me. What was important to me was knowing what we needed and feeling like it was lacking. Like there are other shows again that are put on by organizations that are not run by disabled people. And something for me just doesn't feel, I enjoy participating in them, don't get me wrong, but it feels better when I'm in charge. And so that's something that I've always I've always been a leader, not a follower. So when I see something that has to be done, I like take the bull by the horns and I'll do whatever it takes. So I actually pitched that idea to the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association, got to be a finalist and then got chosen to get our concept out there. My sister has an arts and entertainment management background. So she was able to be the co-founder with me and to do all of the logistical stuff that is just way beyond the scope of what my capabilities are. So we worked really, really well together and it was wonderfully successful. We got a good amount of PR for it. We emailed as many politicians even at, that we could think of and we had a great turnout. We actually were super lucky that one of the cruise ships pulled in and that all the cruise ship people came through. So we had like tourists coming through to like see our stuff. So it just worked out magically. It worked out magically. I've had the opportunity in my life to be on a couple of cruises. So I, I would love to get off the ship and to come to a market like this. That would be amazing. The timing was just, it was meant to be. So we were really thrilled and it was just an absolute success. It was, we had, you know, somebody was running for a political position. We had just, it was just wonderful. I was thrilled Unfortunately, none of those organizations that run their own markets or none of the disability organizations really came out. We had a few individuals from some, but I was just kind of hoping that even though it wasn't something they were running, that they could come out and support. But instead, there's a lot of, I guess you could say there's a bit of a divisive nature between me and some of these organizations just because... I firmly believe that disabled people should be able to work for themselves and that we should be able to have grants available to us instead of needing somebody to kind of facilitate our employment with a business. Because being employed through those channels are not always super accommodating. Like if I was employed by somebody else, 
and I needed to sleep like right now, that's not going to happen. I'm probably going to get fired. So I really stress the importance of self-employment because that money that I'm making is going to me. It's not going through multiple channels where I am probably getting paid the lowest possible amount for labor that really sucks the life out of me. So I, that's what part of the market was, was to showcase like, look, there are disabled people and we are doing stuff for ourselves and we don't need somebody else to facilitate that for us. So that was a big message that I was trying to send. Now, one last project that I saw that you're involved in, so I think this just maybe just recently, is that you're the project lead for the Neurodivergent Artists Collective. This project uh, encourages neurodivergent artists to take space in a neurotypical world and work collectively to dismantle invisible inequities in contemporary art spaces. What do you see as some of the most common barriers that neurodivergent artists face in these spaces? That's a great question. And what I notice is it is very much led by many people who are in a very comfortable financial position who are neurotypical and that allows them to be better at networking. So because there are people who are better at networking, that means that the opportunities are mostly given to them, regardless of the merit of their work. I'm not saying their work is good or bad. Just if you can talk the talk and you can schmooze, chances are those opportunities are going to come a lot easier to you. Now, for neurodivergent people, as we know, many of us really struggle with those kind of topical conversations. They're not necessarily easy for us. And so I find that a lot of the time, because I'm not somebody that goes out to, you know, art gallery showings, or I don't go to loud places where there's alcohol and people are talking and people are, you know, having that kind of social lubricant, and I'm just not comfortable being around a lot of people, those opportunities may not come to me as easy. So my hope with our program, which we're starting to review applications or we're putting our applications out next month. My hope for that is that maybe people who are feeling like social outcasts or they're feeling not so great about themselves, because that's something I relate to a lot in terms of their art and feeling maybe like hopeless or, you know, just sick and tired of not fitting in with what is expected of them in a social environment that we can really showcase what we're capable of if we are given the chance. And to me, that is the most important thing is that we want our artists to feel like they deserve to be in a space instead of being in a space and feeling like a wallflower, feeling like everybody else is getting that opportunity except them. So for me, it's just all about, all about changing what people think of us because so many people are like, well, you can't possibly be autistic. There's no possible way. And I just want to be like, we need to stop this and we need to really, instead of having those conversations, be like, no, here's what we actually are doing. So that's really important to me. Well, Margo, I really appreciate your time. I love talking with other entrepreneurs because I think that it's such an important path for the autistic community. I think so many more of us could be go down that path and it'd be a re really helpful avenue instead of just looking strictly at traditional employment. So, and really love uh, your passion about this. So thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. 
Thanks so much to Margot for the conversation. To learn about Margot and her business, Retrophiliac, please check out the link in the podcast description for this episode. Did you know that Autism Personal Coach provides neurodiversity-affirming support by autistics for autistics through our customized coaching? If this is something that you're interested in learning more about, please visit autismpersonalcoach.com for more information. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable and educational experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it'd be very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.